Hey y'all, before we jump into today's episode, we would like to invite you to a special event we're hosting on May 30th called Women in Whiskey. Join us for an adult field trip filled with Southern fun at the Jack Daniels Distillery right here in our home state of Tennessee. Get ready to learn while sipping. We will be taking a private tour of the distillery, enjoy a barbecue lunch on the beautiful hillside, and partake in early happy hour with cocktails provided by Jack Daniels as we listen in on a conversation with women who work in the industry. The conversation will be led by yours truly, your hosts of the Steel Magnolias podcast. Learn more about the event at steelmagnoliaspodcast.com. You can grab your tickets there and we cannot wait to see you on May 30th. And now on with the show. August 18th, y'all. Big day to celebrate, especially if you are a lady. I know. I feel like we should have champagne clinking glasses oh, right now. Yeah. This is a big day. We got our right to vote, ladies. <laughs> 100 years ago. Celebrating the centennial day. of the 19th Amendment being ratified. Yes. I have visions of the mom in Mary Poppins mar- <laughs> marching <laughs> around in her sash that says votes for women. Um yeah. Love it. So, and just a side note, we are sharing lots of fun photos and videos from suffrage events, things that we've attended, and just things that are happening around the country on our Instagram this week. Y'all should be following us. So, definitely follow us at Still Magnolia's podcast. And there is also, I will link to this in our show notes, there's a fantastic one-hour documentary oh pbs that was put together by nashville public television called buy one vote yeah okay and so it's going to highlight um the role of the south specifically nashville tennessee yeah and the hermitage hotel which we're going to talk a lot about today and so i would highly encourage you if you have interest in this topic to watch that it's just an hour yeah Um, it's really good yeah um, gives a lot of the um, key players in the Nashville yeah, area. Yeah. And Dallas Dudley. And spoiler alert, it's called Buy One Vote because it won. Buy One Vote. Isn't that unreal to think about the pressure those men had felt that day? No. I, yeah. They, they really paint a good picture of that in the yeah. documentary, too, with some of the adjectives they're using to yeah. describe the heat and the intensity and. Yeah, and if you haven't already listened to last week's episode called Women's Suffrage... You're going to... You need to listen to that one before yeah, today. Yeah. Because that sets the whole story. We went into where a we lot. are yeah. right now. Yeah. We kind of led up to the anniversary of today where we're sitting. So we sat down with Dee Patel. She's the managing director of the Hermitage Hotel. In Beautiful down- lady. Inside sure and is. out. Yeah. And... We're sharing her interview today, but the reason that we went down to the Hermitage to talk to her is because it sits right next to our nation's capital, our nation, wow, (laughs) our Nashville state capital. Yeah, it was the hub. It was. Of all of the um, 
persuasive discussions yeah. that were happening in the heat. Yeah. So for three weeks, we talked about a little bit of this in our last episode, members of the House of Representatives for three weeks. They'd been in Tennessee, right here at our Capitol, a lot of them staying at the Hermitage Hotel, and they'd been debating on whether or not to ratify the 19th Amendment. And so the Hermitage Hotel, just based on proximity, probably. Yeah. And, and that it was nice and gorgeous hotel. Had plenty of space. Yeah. Yeah. It became a bustling place of activity. And so we were like, let's go down there. They're doing a ton of stuff to commemorate. Let's talk this to them. Anniversary. And so we talked to Dee. And so, um, yeah, without-, without further ado, here's our interview. Well, we have the pleasure of being here at the table and the lovely Hermitage Hotel um, with Dee Patel. Dee, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. I am incredibly honored to and humbled to share our story. Well, it is a fabulous story. And Dee was recently named the managing director here at the hotel and the first female to hold that title in the hotel's 110-year history. So I just felt like this was the right way to start because cheers to women. Cheers mm-hmm. to women. <laughs> I'm absolutely, to be the first female managing director still gives me chill bumps just to say that out loud. It's yeah. just a, it's a really an incredible honor. You have actually been here 16 years. So I have. Can you tell us a little bit about that transition to that role and how you felt even taking on a role as a female like that? Absolutely. You know, I think hospitality for me is just part of what I've learned to love and enjoy. It's working with an incredibly diverse team that's international and to celebrate their cultures. And, and so this is such a great field for me. And, um, I graduated Johnson Wells university in from Charleston. And I remember taking my first job. I was at the Jefferson hotel in Richmond, Virginia, and was then asked if I would be part of the opening team for the Hermitage hotel after it's 10-month, rigorous, $25 million renovation. Yes. And so I visited Nashville a month before our grand reopening and ironically just fell in love with the hotel. Perhaps not even ironically, just that I fell in love with the hotel. And I remember sitting in my room in room 210 (laughs) and the general manager at the time said, Dee, what is it going to take for you to move to Nashville? And I thought, okay, I've got this great property in Richmond and I've got this wonderful opportunity. And so I did what I knew best. I took out my line sheet of paper and pros and cons. Pros and cons. And it just made sense that this was a great opportunity for me to really um, kickstart the next level of my career. And so I knocked on the general manager's door the next day and I said, okay, hear me out. Um, but I would love for you to give me the opportunity to oversee the housekeeping department instead of the guest services department. And I think he thought I had, boy, I think he looked at me like I had 10 heads. (laughs) But he he agreed, and that really kickstarted my journey here. And wow. I've been here for 16 years in several positions, and it's just you know it's just every day is different, and I love the adrenaline rush. Mm-hmm. But there's something so special about the Hermitage Hotel. It's yes. not just this luxury five star hotel, but it also 
is this historical, iconic hotel to this beautiful city. It's an institution, and all the different, um, you know, the stewardship of history and preservation, it all means something to me personally. Yeah. And so it's it's been a great ride, and I can't wait to kick off this year. Mm, so good. Well, let's talk about the reason that we came down here today, right here in the hot days of August in Nashville, Tennessee. There was something really big happening here in Nashville. 100 years ago. Yes, in 1920. And by August of 1920, there were 35 states that had voted to ratify the 19th Amendment, giving women the right to vote. And if you look at a map of the states that remained unratified, nearly all of them were southern uh, states of the or southern United States. So for three weeks, members of the House of Representatives right here next door at our Capitol, they were debating on whether or not to ratify the 19th Amendment. And rightly so, uh, what seemed to be a state issue was now a national issue. And so Tennessee found ourselves holding the vote to determine the future of women's rights. And the Hermitage Hotel really was the epicenter of that activity. And so that's why we wanted to come sit here today with Dee. And so Dee, we know you know some stories, (laughs) not that you got to be uh, brewing in the halls with these ladies (laughs) and men. But can you tell us a little bit about those weeks leading up to the vote and just sort of the buzz that might have been happening in the lobby? Well, I'm so glad you started with that question because to set the stage, the Hermitage Hotel opened its first doors in 1910. So this was really only 10 years after. And to think that we're sitting here in the very same place, if those walls could talk. Right. Meet me at the Hermitage Hotel was this coined phrase during the time, and that's exactly what happened. In 1920, when both the pro-suffragist leaders and the anti-suffrage leaders descended upon the Hermitage Hotel to Nashville, along with all the state legislators from throughout the state. And so just painting the picture of those six hot summer weeks... It really was the culmination of the entire suffrage movement. All eyes were on the state of Tennessee. And again, if I could just be a fly on the wall, Mm -hmm. um, it was six weeks in August. Remember again, 1920, it was hot. There was no air conditioning. You're wearing these really heavy dresses. There's hats, there's suits. The hotel did not have air conditioning inside the hotel. And the lobby was packed. People were smoking. There was debating. There was talking. There was arguing. There were telegrams that were being received all day and throughout the night. So you can just imagine how uncomfortable it might might have even been. But the hotel was full of all sorts of just activity and people bustling. Um, besides the, the debating and, and the arguing, There was a lot of bribing and spying that also took place amongst the different legislators (laughs) and the pro and anti-suffrage leaders. And so there was this plotting strategy. Now, the anti-suffrage leaders' offices were on the mezzanine level, so they could really sort of see a bird's-eye view of everyone. This movement was also referred to as a war of roses, Mm -hmm. and that meant that 
you could define who was on what side. So if you wore a yellow rose, that signified that you were pro-suffrage. And if you wore a red rose, you were against the vote and, and were not in favor of women getting the right to vote. And so that's how each side was able to decipher where the legislators stood. And so the anti-suffrage movement figured out a really sneaky way to tempt the, the legislators. Now, mind you, we're in the middle of prohibition. And so the lawmakers would congregate on the eighth floor of the Hermitage Hotel which became known as a Jack Daniels floor, the suite in which whiskey was being poured, whiskey was being served with the ultimate goal to sway that legislator's vote. Yeah. And so, yes. That <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're sitting here in a fantastically gorgeous historic room, um, somewhat of a boardroom, and we have this bouquet of yellow roses. Beautiful. And so, yeah, there is much that the hotel even today is doing to incorporate those yellow roses that stood for women's rights. It's such a beautiful thing. Yeah, and thing. both sides had gone across the whole state talking to the different legislators, trying to influence them, and, and both thought that they had enough support but things literally changed in this hotel yeah yeah in those last days and weeks that's right i mean this hotel was also named called referred to as a third house wow because so much culminated and happened here throughout the entire hotel mm -hmm. it was mm -hmm. bustling of of the lobbyists and the legislators and the pros and the antis. Yeah. yeah. Well, I want to talk about um, a few of the arguments that may have been heard mm. against women having the right to vote. I still kind of can't wrap my mind around living in times when I didn't have a voice mm -hmm. at the at the voting booth. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to – I felt like that kind of went with – we were talking about, you know – what would have been discussed at the mm -hmm. teas, mm -hmm. but what were some of the things maybe in men's gatherings as to why women should not have the right to vote? That's right. So the anti-suffrage leaders, which were men and women, um, the arguments really centered around fear of change and giving okay. up that power. Um, other arguments affected the labor laws, the fear of continuing prohibition, um, that women's place at home was running the household, bearing children. Yeah. And some even thought that the Bible clearly spelt out that women, that a woman is a man's helper. Okay. And so there were these cartoons that the anti-suffrage campaign leaders would have in some of these newspapers, which were highly, highly entertaining, portraying perhaps a man with a baby in one arm and a ladle in another sort of stirring this pot while the mom went out to go vote. Okay. So they were going to have new responsibilities that they didn't want. That's correct. <laughs> wow. So many cool characters in all of these stories, many pioneers um, in so many ways. So I'm just curious, Dee, from the many stories you've heard, do you have any favorite characters, men or women? Gosh, I mean, they're all my favorite because they all supported this movement. Um, yeah, I think they all need to be commended and, and celebrated. 
Probably my favorite character in the movement would would is Carrie Chapman Cat. Yeah. She was a leader of the pro suffrage movement. She was bold, extremely organized, mm-hmm. had great willpower, and just had exceptional leadership skills. And so this really funny story. One day Carrie Chapman Cat decided to take a nap this one afternoon. And as she started laying into bed, she was mortified to find a bottle of liquor under her bedroom pillow. And so she was convinced that this was a dirty trick by the opposition to slander her name. And so the story goes on that she was really worried and didn't know what to do with the bottle and you couldn't flush it because the odor would linger. Oh, true. And she didn't want to hide it under the bed or in her suitcase. And so she tells a friend the story the very same day who happened to know who the bottle belonged to. It belonged to a newspaper woman who was on the pro-suffrage side, but it just temporarily stashed it there for a bit. And so Carrie just wasn't willing to take that risk and insisted that they go on a ride out in the country as far away from from this area and she ended up stashing or hiding this bottle in a stone wall. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Carrie Cat goes country cruising. Well, That's what we would I call think, that. <laughs> I think it goes to show how probably on edge all of these women that were pro suffrage were because Every move they made, they were watch, being watched True. or they were being careful in how they said every sentence. I mean, everything had to be so finessed. So for her to find that, oh my gosh, I can't imagine the horror that she must have felt. I know. Wow. Um, That's a good one. Well, let's discuss August 18th, 1920. We kind of started out um, leading into the importance of that day, but... We've heard that it was really a pretty dramatic unfolding when it came to the roll call, right? Where they're actually saying um, what their vote is. And I've heard some sort of story about a guy with a letter from his mother. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I absolutely can. <laughs> um, the, the famous Harry T. Burns winning the vote in the House Representatives on August 18th, 1920 is pretty well known. So Harry T. Byrne was this young 24-year-old state representative whose district was very much anti-suffrage, you know, focused. And so until the day of the vote, Byrne wore a red rose that signified his position as an anti-suffrage. And it was noted that the lawmakers, of course, the red roses signified that you were against the vote and the yellow was that you were pro. So on the final day of the vote, Harry T. Byrne walked into the chamber still wearing the red rose. Wow. And it was nail-biting just to know that this is it. This is this final, final moment. It's going to happen now or it's not going to happen right. and these, today. And this it, whole it, movement's going to have to keep going. Right. Um, and so earlier that day, he had received a note from his mother. And this was a really special note asking Harry to vote suffrage and to support Carrie Chapman Catt. And so Harry being a good boy, he stepped up to the vote and voted aye and tore the red rose off of his lapel and later discreetly escaped the Capitol building, 
because you know a fear of of yeah sure of, um a lot of different things yeah. but ran into the hermitage hotel and he called his mother to tell him that he voted pro suffrage wow and what a shining example that every vote matters yeah mm-hmm. absolutely and I have a two-year-old boy, so what I hear in that story is even when he's 24, that I can still speak things into his life that he can take to heart. That's that right. That is so encouraging That's to me. Right. That's right. That, and I love know, that he was 24 because he was the youngest legislator at that point in time. So he was still listening to the advice of his mother. That's right. Well, and but how much was on the line? Right. I mean... To be that young That's and true, to be looking to have that backbone in this men of or this room of you know men of maturity and probably people you looked up to That's to, true. to make that switch. Wow! Well, he so, was smart so to bold. listen to his mother. Yes. That's right. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, that was such a huge day um, to give women the right to vote. But I just wanted to touch on the fact that for our sisters of color. They did not necessarily get that right on August the 18th, 1920. Can can you tell us a little bit about that? I can, yes. And so in 1920, when the vote passed, technically every single citizen, regardless of, of race and color, was given the right to vote. However, in the South, the Jim Crow laws suppressed all kinds of rights for African Americans, including their right to vote. And so it wasn't until 1965 when Equal Voting Rights Act was put in place that removed all the different obstacles and truly now giving giving true equal voting rights. So I'm really just amazed as I listen, thinking, wow, our African-American sisters had to wait 45 more years. Yeah. So there to get that right. Their centennial is in 45 years. Whoa. Crazy. Yeah. But, you know, there was things done. She mentioned the Jim Crow laws, but, you know, there was things like poll taxes and literacy tests that were added as prerequisites to be able to vote, which not everybody could do that. Right. Those kinds of sneaky things, if you will, that were done. Um, But just even as I was pondering, listening to our interview a second time, what I hear is that we need each other, men and women, people, you know, black and white of all color. Yeah. We need each other. We do. And I was even putting myself in the shoes of these women that were going across the state, meeting one-on-one with these legislators. And, you know, when they were all white men. Yep. And when they were listening to the stories of these women, they actually were giving their, many of them were giving their support. Right. We're going to, you know, I'm going to wear the yellow I hear you out. I'm 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 with you. But then when they come together, and it's mostly women meeting with women and men meeting with men there at the Hermitage Hotel. I know the women were trying to get time with these. Yeah. With these men, but... You know, you when think you go about back those to your... little gatherings of your circle mm-hmm. and things started changing. A lot of them were wearing red roses then that, you know, had said they were going to support women's right to vote. So 
And that happens with women too, where we hear somebody's story. And then once we gather with our people that are just like us, our minds change. I just think so it's true. so important that we need to hear each other and hear each other's stories. And we all need each other. Men and women need each yeah. other. Yeah. And hanging out with people that are just like us doesn't benefit us right. always. doesn't always it benefit. It can encourage, but it doesn't always benefit us. Yeah. So that's what I gleaned as I'm listening to the interview of, wow, it's so important that we hear each other. It is. And I would say, you know, just kind of tie a bow on this. It's a huge privilege. We said it in our last episode to vote. And so we're in an election year. Yeah. And if you sometimes avoid the polls because you don't know or you don't like the choices, I would just think back to Susan B. Anthony or some of the other women that we've mentioned and go, could you look at her in her face and say, I didn't know who to vote for, so, so I, I just didn't. didn't go. I don't know. I have a I have a check in my spirit about that. And yeah. so, um, so... Do your you know, homework. Do your homework. And I would just say, seek out the truth as best as you have access to. and Based on your convictions. Yeah. And you know what? There has never been a perfect candidate out there. That is the truth, Laura Beth. And so I would just We're say, give it time. You know, if you don't know initially how you're going to vote, give it time. You don't have to just know right on the spot who you're siding with, um, give it time and think about it and pray about it. And, um, gosh, the Bible even has a lot to say about ways we can vote. And so just what you have access to, just seek it out. And praying for your leaders, regardless of yeah if you support or not. So that's good. That's as political as we'll probably get on this podcast, but we're just wanting to encourage everybody to vote. Yeah. So, and what an honor it will be. That's right. I may have another carry <laughs> cocktail just <laughs> so good. to celebrate oh, so good. again. Okay. Well, what a, what a fun, uh, actually two-part kind of episode That's this right. has been uh, to share with you guys. And hope you have enjoyed it as well. Oh, well, peace be with you, Laura Beth. And also with y'all.